In January of 1999, the world was filled with dread. What would year's end bring? The Y2K crisis began. And it turned out to be all for naught. The worry over Y2K was a bit overblown. And in fact, the Y2K worry was outlasted by something that, by most estimates, would have seemed insignificant in that very same January. I'm speaking, of course, of the release of the animatronic prop fish known as Big Mouth, Billy Bass. If you're not familiar with Big Mouth, Billy Bass, he's a fish that's, that's mounted, and he's mechanical, and he sings some songs. Probably know at least two of them. Uh, Take me to the river. Put me in the water. Right? You've seen this in people's houses. He also sang another song. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to take it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. The words of Big Mouth Billy Bass are wiser than we know. In fact, we might amend them and come up with the main idea of our text this morning, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus repeats the same main idea, repeats it three times. He says, do not be anxious. We might say, don't worry. And he also gives us a positive command. He doesn't say just don't worry. He says, don't worry, be holy. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's our main idea this morning, and that's actually your exhortation as well. And so you only have one line there, one thing to put in your pocket and carry with you throughout the week. Don't worry, be holy. Outline is there before you, and, and we will pray and get started, but before we pray, let me ask you, what do you worry about? There's been a lot of things to worry about in recent years. People have worries about COVID and about inflation and about recession and about the spread of war. And that's not to make any mention of all the other things that we worry about as individuals, family, work, making ends meet. What do you worry about? Take a minute this morning and ask yourself right now, what worry am I carrying? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we struggle with worry and anxiety. Constantly we give in to the temptation to try and rule our own lives. We try to play your role rather than trusting you. We confess that we need Jesus' words this morning now as much as ever. 
we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would carve the truth of your word onto our hearts, that you would change us, that you would make us more faithful, that you would fill us with the joy of knowing Christ afresh. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people, to sing to you, to pray to you, to hear your word proclaimed. And and we confess that at times when we find the regular weekly gathering together with other believers boring, that it is a product of our own failure to be awed at who you are. Our own failure to be awed at the marvel of the gospel. That we who deserve death, we who deserve an eternity in hell under your righteous wrath, have been spared because of your grace and mercy and love. That those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for sins, will be raised from the dead like him, are given the gift of eternal life, are able to relate to you, not as judge, but as our Father. Oh, Father, forgive us for not being awed at your mercy, for taking lightly the great privilege it is to gather together and worship you and know you. We give you praise for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And so this morning, God, we humble ourselves before you and we cast our anxieties on you. We know that you care for us. We know that you will cause us to stand. We know that you will hold us fast into the grave and out the other side into eternity. Pray that you would enlarge our affections for you this morning, and we pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are working through the book of Matthew. Matthew has set the table for us. He's laid out Jesus' credentials as king in those first four chapters. He said that Jesus has the right pedigree. He fulfills the right prophecies and he has the right endorsements. God has said of Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Matthew is putting for us in shining light. He's saying, Jesus is the king. He is the long-awaited Messiah who will bring salvation to his people, to all who believe. Matthew is continuing to, to build a case for Jesus as the king that we ought to submit ourselves to as he brings us into contact with Jesus' power in chapters 5 through 9. In chapters 8 and 9, we see Jesus' power as he exercises authority over diseases, demons, and even death itself. And we see it in chapters 5 through 7, this is where we are, in the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus teaches with the very authority of God. We've said the Sermon on the Mount has two primary goals. Hold up two and not four. Two primary goals. Jesus aims to call us to himself in dependent faith and to holiness. Calls us to himself and to holiness. He does this by way of introducing us to the level of righteousness that is required for someone to enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, the very best of the best, the, the goats of religion, unless you're better than the best at being holy, then you will not get into the kingdom of heaven. And that, that causes the hair on our arms to stand up a little bit. We ask the question, who then can be saved? And Jesus gives us the answer at the sermon's beginning in verse 3 of chapter 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the big thing you can't miss about the Sermon on the Mount. Those who get into the kingdom of heaven are the spiritually bankrupt. Those who are made right with God are the ones who come to God with empty hands of faith, saying, I don't have anything to offer you. If I am to get into heaven, it will be solely on the basis of your grace, not my goodness. Jesus calls us to depend on him in faith so that we can be made right with God, so that we might enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus calls us to holiness. Throughout this sermon, we, we see command after command. And Jesus doesn't just give these commands to us so we can go, well, I guess I can never do that, so just live however I want. Can't do it perfectly. No, no. He expects us to obey. Those who come to Jesus in dependent faith, those who bend the knee to the king, live for the king on their feet. Those who are truly in the kingdom of heaven will reveal themselves by living like kingdom citizens. A tree is known by its fruit. A soldier proves his loyalty in battle. So those are the two main goals. That's a very broad picture. We, this morning, are in chapter 6. And if you remember, those first 18 verses were Jesus signaling us to the fact that not everybody who looks like they might be in the kingdom of heaven actually is. He contrasts for us hypocrisy and holiness. Remember we said hypocrisy is appearing to be one thing on the outside and something different on the inside. Used that go-to illustration of mine of the time somebody fashioned a watermelon to look like a cake, and then when I cut into it, I was really disappointed because it was watermelon and not cake. This is what hypocrisy is. Jesus says there are those who have turned religious activities into performance art. And they might look holy, but on the inside, they are rotten watermelon. They're not true. They're outside the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who perform religiously in order to bring glory not to God, but to themselves. Don't be like the hypocrites who live to please other people rather than to please God. He says, do the things you do for the Lord. He sees and he rewards. Jesus encourages us to invest our hearts in that which is eternal rather than that which is temporal. He lays it out for us in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, follow the money. You know where your heart is? Follow the money. Follow what you value. 
if you value the applause and approval of others, the reality is those people, the tyranny of man's approval, has your heart. If your treasure is in stuff and money, well, then it is stuff and money that has your heart. It's where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he encourages us to invest not in that which passes away, but in that which is lasting and eternal. It really gets to the, the heart of the matter in verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. cannot serve God and money. What Jesus is saying is, wherever your treasure is, wherever you are investing, whoever or whatever has your heart, that whoever or whatever is your master. He says you can't have two of them. You can't hold on to the cross and Christ with one hand and try to hold on to your idols, money, career, family, whatever your idol is, with the other. God demands all of your heart, all of your obedience. He says you can have one master. The point is if we really want lasting peace and lasting security, then we will give ourselves not to the tyranny of men's approval or of money's power, but to God. I mean, everything that Jesus says about worry in our passage this morning is built on this reality that he is underscoring for us in verse 24. He's saying true peace, true security, come from investing in that which lasts rather than in passing things. True peace comes from knowing God and serving him, from having your father as your master. Friends, our hearts become anxious because we begin to put our hope in earth's treasures rather than heaven's. When you begin to worry and become anxious, it is because you are putting your hope in earth's treasures rather than heaven's. The cares of this world conspire together to choke out your faith. Remember Jesus says this in the parable of the soils. He says, Matthew 13, verse 19, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the seed that was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, of, of money, choke out the word. Money 
is a bad master. It is a passing treasure which gives birth to present anxiety. When our hopes are in things other than God, we will find ourselves quite worrisome. Jesus tells us, in light of the fact that you have God, your Father, as master, in light of the fact that you are laying up for yourself treasure in heaven where no one can touch it, you don't need to worry. That's what the therefore in verse 25 is there for. He's saying, God's your master, therefore, you have one master, therefore, do not be anxious. And he says it again three times. Because this is at the center of the the passage, we need to be clear about what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying. When Jesus is telling us not to worry, he's not talking about physiological conditions that would cause a hormonal imbalance and then result in some sort of anxiety disorder. He's not telling us that we should not have any hopes for the future. He's not telling us that we should never be disappointed. He's not telling us that we can't plan or that we shouldn't work hard. Any attempt to read the text that way is not wise. So what is Jesus saying? What is this worry that he's talking about? When Jesus tells us not to worry, he is commanding us to forsake unbelieving interpretations of reality. I'll say that again and then I'll make it more simple. When Jesus tells us not to worry, he's commanding us to forsake unbelieving interpretations of reality. More simply, he's saying, believe. Worry, your anxiety, is the result of your lack of faith in God. It's because you have chosen to live like an unbeliever or a pagan rather than as a Christian, as a citizen of the kingdom. And so he's encouraging us to understand all of reality, all of our circumstances in light of the fact that we have God as Father. There's plenty of sermon left, but if you're going to check out at this point, get this with you on your way out. Jesus is telling us we can have peace Because the truth of reality is that our master is our father, and he cares for us. Worry happens when we live as if God does not exist, when we live as if God is not good, and when we live as if God is not in control of absolutely everything. Worry is believing that God is going to get the future wrong. It's believing that you know better than God. It's a misuse of imagination that tries to live out the future in the present. One pastor said, worry is being weighed down by what ifs. Friends, we needn't bear the weight of the what ifs of our future. Because we know our Father holds the future. Just as surely as he holds us in Christ our Lord. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father 
feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Jesus is is making what's known as a how much more argument over and over again here. He gives us a command and two illustrations, and, and the command is, do not worry. And he opens up by saying, don't worry about your life. Because your life, the fact that you exist, is more valuable. Your life is more important than the food you eat or the things you drink or even your body. And then he tells us, think about it. Look at the birds, right? This is sort of odd, Jesus, right? So look at the birds. They, they don't farm. They don't sow seed and then wait for the turning of the seasons and, and then... Uh, reap it all in and store it up in barns. They just kind of work each day and God provides what they need. Jesus, look at the birds. I mean, seriously, have you ever watched birds? I know that's, that's more of a, an older person hobby. Um, made, for, made fun of people for birding before. Uh, but I did do it earlier this spring. I, I sat outside one day uh, by the sandbox. I was watching my children and there was this one bird, they like to nest uh, between the soffit and fascia in, in the, the roof of my house. And so uh, this one particular bird, he built his nest in there, and he would fly across 151, and then a little bit later he'd come back and perch on a branch, like a worm or something in his mouth, and then he would dart on inside to his nest and his youngins, over and over and over again. Jesus says, you want to worry? <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Watch the birds and learn something about God's provision and his providence. He provides for them day after day. Let me give you another illustration. Think about grass in the fields. God feeds the birds, right? You want to think about food? God feeds the birds. Well, God also clothes the grass, he says, if you look, he's got in mind these, these hills and slopes and fields that, that the original audience would have been familiar with. And he says, you know, you look out and you see all those wildflowers covering the grass. The grass didn't, I love it, it didn't toil or spin, right? Grass didn't sew this garment together for itself. God did that. He says, the grass is better clothed than even Solomon was. So, you want to worry? Don't do that. If you're tempted to worry, watch the birds. God feeds them. You, you want to, to worry? Look at the grass. God clothes it. And so, if we're, if we're coming to Jesus' words and we're saying, how do we fight worry? Step one, right? Process one. How do we fight worry? Well, we don't feel our way out of it, right? We don't just look at our feelings and try to feel our way out of our anxieties. But we change the way we think. 
that we put our attention on God. And the first thing Jesus says is, if you want to fight worry, watch the world turn a little bit. You'll see that God provides for birds the food they need. He clothes the grass with flowers. He takes care of everything from owls to insects. He says, consider even the mice of the field. They, They have what they need. Sometimes they're mice in the church, unfortunately. They have what they need. We consider the snakes that eat them, right? We, God sustains all of these things. So we want to fight worry. We want to focus on God's providence. We read this morning from our scripture reading in Job. is God causes rain to fall, flowers to bloom, wind to blow. Focus on God's providence and recognize that he cares for his creation and that he cares for us. We are the crown of his creation. And that's really the the nub of the argument here. That's where the rhetorical force is on the how much more. You see it at the end of verse 26 and verse 30, right? He gets done with the stuff about birds and he says, are you not of more value than they? The idea is, if he takes care of birds, how much more is he going to take care of you? If he clothes the grass, verse 30, which is today alive, tomorrow it's thrown in the oven. They used to use the grass to, to burn, uh, to, to, use, to power their ovens, right? It's green one day, brown the next. It's fading. It's not that important. God clothes it. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? If he takes care of these things, he's certainly going to take care of you. Jesus is saying, know that your Father controls all things, trust His providence, and know your value. Know how valuable you are to God. You are worth more than a bunch of birds. You're worth more than fields. In fact, you are so valuable that the Creator God of the universe sent His unique Son to die on the cross in your place so that you might live and escape hell. That's how valuable you are. If you are a Christian, it is because God has so loved you, set his affection on you before the foundation of the world, and chosen to rescue you from your sin and the death you deserve rather than giving you, or he's chosen to save you rather than giving you the condemnation you deserve. If you're a Christian, it's, it's by his grace. Think about why do, why do parents love their children? It's because they're, they're children. Right? I love my kids not because they always obey or because they always perform to a certain standard. I love them because they're mine. Likewise, Christian, you, you are loved and valued by God because you are His. That wonderful word in Romans 8, verse 28 through 32. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Uh, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the how much more argument. You ready? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How much more valuable are you than birds? If he feeds the birds, he's going to feed you. How much more valuable are you than fields? If he clothes the fields, he's going to clothe you. If he gave up his only son for you, that you might have salvation and everlasting life, how much more is he going to give you exactly what you need? Non-Christian, this is the good news of the gospel. That God has sent his son to die in the place of everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him. That's the good news of the gospel, that that God has provided a way for us to be made right with him, to join us to his family. We can enter into the family of God and know him as father if we will repent and believe in Jesus. Now, Christian, you can lay all your worry down today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow or even eternity if you trust in Christ Jesus as your Lord. Give up on those treasures of earth that can never satisfy and that are passing away. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven treasure that lasts. Trust Christ the King. He will give you all things. Christian, do not forget that the God who is loves you. He gave himself for you. He has the whole world in his hands birds, and fields. This is my Father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white declare their maker's praise. This is my Father's world, he shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass I hear him pass, he speaks to me everywhere. This is his world, and you are his. He has planned your life to work out right on schedule for your good and his glory. Love the psalmist says in Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of my days, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Friend, God has set his love on you. Church, God has set his love on you and has determined to work everything in your life for you, for your good and for his glory. You can trust him. You don't need to worry. You have God as father. But maybe you object You say, 
that sounds good that God will give us what we need, but what about all those Christians who are living in poverty around the world? What about all those martyrs who have shed their blood throughout church history? Has God really provided for them? Yes, God provides exactly what we need to glorify Him, even into death. God always gives us what we need and always answers our best prayer. What is that that best prayer? Look back at the beginning of the chapter, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That best prayer is, thy will be done. And God provides for us our every need in order to accomplish his perfect will. And Romans tells us that when his will is done, when we are on the other side of the resurrection and we look back across our lives, that we will go, that was for my good. That brings God glory. God's will is done. This doesn't mean that we, we never fear. It doesn't mean that we are never tempted towards worry. But knowing that God's will gets done and praying in that direction, knowing that we have God as Father, emboldens us to take up that shield of faith and extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Knowing that we have God as Father and Christ as our King is what enables us to stand fast and to day after day battle against the sins that beset us, to strive against worry. How do we fight worry? We focus on God's providence. This is His world. We know that He is our Father and that He loves us. We say, He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, how will he not also with him give us all things? Jesus never sinned. But I'm sure he was tempted towards worry, just like you and I are. And how could he not be worrisome? I thought a lot about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane this week as he was considering the, the cross before him. Remember his prayer? Imagine his heart melting in his chest. It's not my will, but your will be done. There is a way that worry comes to us, and it's sort of neutral. And we have a decision to make. I can take this to God and continue to trust him, which is the faithful response, is the response of Christ. Or I can try to take this into my own hands bear all the what-ifs of tomorrow, right now, today. Try to play the role of God. Jesus shows us how to fight worry. He says, not my will be done, but thy will be done. Friends, Jesus shows us that we can trust God to provide. We can trust him through this life, into the grave, and out the other side. 
that even in the midst of suffering and loss and darkness, we can sing. This is my Father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. God is our Father, and He is in control. You can fight worry by trusting His providence and trusting that He is for us. And Jesus continues to tell us why we ought not worry, points us not just to God's providence and our value, but also to the value of worry. You see it there in verse 27, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Point is simple here, worry has no value. How many parents, once their children have grown up, uh, look back over their life and go, you know, when my kids were younger, I really wish, wish I would have worried more about getting them into the right preschool and into the right middle school and into the right high school. Wish I would have worried more about their sports. Wish I would have worried more about uh, the habits and the friends they had. It really would have, would have made a difference. How many people come to the end of their lives, on their deathbed, and say, there's just one thing I wish I would have done. I wish... I would have worried a little bit more. No one. Is in the, the translation of this is hard. Some people go, is he talking about adding to your span of life or adding to your height? Point is the same either way. Worry cannot make you any taller and it cannot make you live any longer. It has no value. You can trust God's providence because he loves you and values you. He's your heavenly father. Worry has no value. Therefore, Jesus hits us with it again. Do not be anxious, verse 31, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Why shouldn't we do this, Jesus? Verse 32, because for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, when we become consumed by worry, it is because we have become worldly. We've put our hopes and our attentions, our treasures, in the wrong place. When I was in seminary, I had a job for a short period of time, it was just one summer, uh, landscaping for a private individual. Uh, his home, homes, uh, was located on a three-hole golf course that Arnold Palmer had designed for him. And so it was a pretty nice place. I had some experience with landscaping. I worked at a, a cemetery when I was in high school for a short stint, so I, I know how to, how to lay sod and dig holes and, and cut grass. The thing is, at a cemetery, the one I worked at anyway, it's pretty big, they didn't care what the grass looked like so much as long as it was cut. The golf course, though, they care what the grass looks like. And so I didn't have any experience sort of cutting in a way that was aesthetically pleasing or um, mounting like this full-size tractor with dual blades in the front and then uh, pull-behind blades in the back, okay? And so I can remember the first day I was charged with cutting fairways. I got done with my first hole, 
and I looked back over the work I had done, and the, the lines were more like rainbows, right? There was a, there was a whole lot of, of wavering. They, they weren't exactly straight. And so I said to myself, that can't happen again. That looks terrible. And so I moved to the second hole, and, and my, my idea to try to avoid that was not great in retrospect. But I said, you know what? I'm going to look right at the front of the mower, right at my feet, and anytime I see the, the line sort of get off, off course a little bit, get a little jagged, I'm going to correct and get back, and that will keep me straight. I get to the end of the second hole, and I look back over my job, and it is more jagged than the first hole. And finally, one of the brothers who was working with me uh, comes to me and says, this is really simple, Justin. You drive a car, right? Yeah, I drive a car. He says, the car goes where you look. So the lawnmower is no different. Pick a point off in the distance, fix your eyes on it, and then just drive towards it. And your lines will be straight. Pretty simple. Friends, I think Jesus' point here is similar. If we put our eyes on our feet on our immediate circumstances, on the world around us all the time, and that's where our focus, that's where our attention, that's where our, our hearts are, we will find that our, our lives waver into worry. But if we will fix our eyes on that steady point in the distance, on Christ our Lord, if we will have an eternal perspective rather than a temporal one, we will find that we're able to walk that straight and narrow course of faithfulness. We will be far less worried. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, don't seek after these worldly things which cause you to worry, like Gentiles. When they say Gentiles, they mean unbelievers, non-Christians. Don't do that. Instead, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Put Christ in your vision. Look to Christ. That's what it is to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's, it's fundamentally to love and seek King Jesus by obeying his word. Really simple. Jesus is saying, don't worry, be holy. Don't live like the world. Be holy like the church. Also notice, he says another reason there in verse 32 you don't need to seek after these things. Why? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And again, we should recall that this is not the first time we've heard this in this chapter. Look back at verse 7. When you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles or unbelievers do because they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Why, Jesus? Because for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So, so here, my kids sometimes, usually, especially, when Chelsea is away, um, act as if I am incompetent. I know, it's crazy. But I'll, I'll get questions that are ridiculous. Dad, are we going to have breakfast today? Well, will there be dinner tonight? And... <laughs> And if, if I am feeling playful, I'll say, no, 
no, no idea what we're going to do. But if I'm going to be more serious, I'll say something along these lines. How long have I been your father? And they'll try to add it up the best they can. And I'll say, and how many meals have you missed? None. You let me do my job. I'll provide for you. You worry about doing your job, which is listening to me. Jesus' point here is the same. Don't worry about God doing his job, which is orchestrating all of reality for your good and his glory. You don't need to try to orchestrate reality in the way that you think is best. God has that covered. Jesus is saying, let your heavenly father do his job. This is his world. You be holy. You do your job. You obey his voice. Seek first the kingdom of heaven. Don't worry. Be holy. Friends, we, can't, we, we need to stop living like the world. There is more to life than simply staying alive and having all of our ducks in a metaphorical row. Too many of us live like, like Woody Allen, as if death is the worst thing that could ever happen to us. Remember what Woody Allen says? I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not dying. I don't want to live on in the hearts of my countrymen. I want to live on in my apartment. It's funny, but it's sad. It's so short-sighted. So many of us live like this, and therefore we worry and worry and worry. Friends, we are those who have treasure in heaven. We are those who have resurrection life right now. We are those who will be raised from the dead, just as Christ our Lord. We don't live for right now. We live right now in light of then. We live with an eternal perspective. Jesus sums the whole thing up in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love that. He personifies tomorrow. He says, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow. You take care of today. Today's trouble is enough. So last thing he says, don't borrow trouble from tomorrow for today. Don't borrow tomorrow's trouble because you do not yet have tomorrow's new mercy. His mercies are new every morning. Give us this day our daily bread. God is faithful to give you just what you need each day. Your Father provides and He will not fail. Love Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Friend, where is your hope this morning? Where is your treasure? There your heart will be also. Who is your master? If it is God, you have your heavenly Father as master. And there is no need to worry. Just be holy. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture which both challenges and comforts us. We can hear Jesus telling us, don't, don't worry, don't be anxious. And we can also feel him putting his arm around us. As a father might put an arm around a young child, don't worry, I've got this. Father, help us to believe to not live like the world, like pagans and non-Christians. Help us to live as your people, as adopted sons and daughters, as your church. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.